and grinders welcome to dfs pregame show here on roto grinders i'm jordan cooper aka blender ed blender hd if you want to follow me there on twitter and uh still we're in the midst of the nba season it's wednesday we got a nine game slate today we got we had a what seven game slate yesterday uh if you didn't play a million warriors you probably didn't do well well you should have played a million warriors and we'll go over a little bit of yesterday's slate using results db our new results db uh but brought to you powered by fantasy labs contest dashboard so go check that out rotogrinders.com slash results db i see you in the chat you people right give me those thumbs ups give me the subscribe buttons give me the notification bells and post your questions in the chat right we always always need to extend uh kind of uh because going over the uh the, the nba slate for today doesn't doesn't do much when uh you don't have you don't have any news right yesterday we'd be going over the slate going i don't know what we're gonna do right and blah 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 blah. next thing you know curry's out wiggins is out like all the warriors are out and then you're playing all these cheap guys so like what what are we gonna talk about well if you have questions put them in the youtube chat good morning infamous talk matt mears ryan edwards hog lawrence john Koch, trey trey's in the chat uh the winning lineup i think at five warriors or, or four warriors at least Right. I think FJ Bourne came out of nowhere last night with Michael Bridges, with Michael Bridges, 49.5 points. But like one, two, three, four, Moody, Poole, Lee and Juan Toscano Anderson, which I mean, I guess 19 points for 3000 was uh, good enough. As long as you have Giannis in your lineup with him, I think that was fine. Take a look at the one below it. And then Michael Bridges out of nowhere. Here's another one. Devin Vassell. Okay. I don't think you didn't need this. Yeah, I mean, you didn't need that. Here's 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 a here's a very chalky lineup. <laughs> Excuse me. That wasn't first. It was actually tied three ways. One, two, three, five Warriors. Murray, Kuzma, Giannis. This looked like a lot of my lineups. Okay. I had a lot of Deontay Murray. I had a bunch of Kyle Kuzma, not as much as Giannis, but he was still in the pool. Uh, because I considered Murray out of all those like pay up options, like you had Murray yesterday, you had like guys like Butler, you had Harden, you had Giannis, like the, the high, high range people, but Murray is in, is, is on the other side of the Warriors game. So like, if I'm going to play a lot of Warriors, even though they're all cheap and even if they got blown out or something like that, they're still going to play a ton of minutes. Uh, why not play the one of why not play the guy on the other side of the game? So I played a lot of Murray plus three to five Warriors. I had a cap at five. Uh, but like I had at minimum three Warriors in every line. Because look out, the, the most expensive Warrior was Jordan Poole, 5,500. Everyone else is 4,000, 4, 3,200, 3,000. These, all these guys are playing 30 plus minutes, right? It's hard for them not to get there. It's hard for them not to get 8x, 10x, 12x, right? We saw that in the projections if you, if you had on Roto-Grinders. Like the, the, the salary adjusted plus minus was, was, was ridiculous on all these players. And uh, some people are like, like, well, how many, how many can you play in one lineup, right? Are, aren't they negatively correlated to each other? Now, when you, we, we went over this, the, the same thing yesterday, similar thing yesterday when it comes to like chalk and not chalk. Like that's that's the wrong way to think about it. Over-owned and under-owned. 
That's a better way to think of it. So you're not like, well, uh, Jordan Poole is going to be 66. Well, he was 66.8% owned yesterday. You know what he should have been owned? 90 something percent. Okay. He had, a, he had a similar salary adjusted value that Drummond had the night before. And Drummond was what? He, he was 80% owned or something. 66.8% owned, under owned. Damien Lee was 41% owned. Probably should have been 50% owned. Kaminga was about efficiently owned, right? Kevin Looney probably should have been 20% owned. We also had, uh, well, who, who else was part of this? We had JTA, right? But like Jordan Poole, it's like, oh, he's 5,500. Well, do I need to play him? It's like, dude, he was projected for like 40 points, median. Should have been like 85%, 90% owned. So he's under owned. So that's why it's like, it's not a matter of who's chalk and who's not chalk. So the same thing has to do with correlation. Players could be negatively correlated and still be together in the winning lineup based on their salary. So you have all these players. You have, okay, how do you play five? Can five players on the same team get there? Well, if they're all efficiently priced, probably not. Because what does get there mean? Get there means puts up a score that that gives you a you know, big flame emoji, right? 7X, 8X, 10X, something like that. So yeah, like let's say you had uh, like Giannis. Uh, let's take a look at uh, at at two people on, on on the same team. Let's go to exposures. Two people on the same team, like even like Dinwiddie and Kuzma, for instance. Like at seventy four hundred, like fifty one points is a ceiling. That that you have you have a GPP winning type of score with Kuzma, but you don't with Dinwiddie at twenty eight point seven five, which is like what five x. Right, because of their prices. But if Dinwiddie was three thousand, twenty-eight points is great. Right, that's almost ten x. If Kuzma was five thousand, it would be ten x. So if you tell me that Spencer Dinwiddie was three thousand and Kuzma was five thousand, I have no problem playing them together, even though they're negatively correlated. Because how many points do they need? What's their target score? Do they need Butler and Adebayo or something like that? Like. If they're both 5,000, it's like, dude, they could put up 50 each, no problem, in the same game, regardless of their salary. So if they're both 5,000, that's 10x for both of them. Play them both together. You get two players at 10x at the same time in your lineup, that's fine. But if Butler was 13,000 and Adebayo was 17,000, the, the 50 points isn't good enough each for them. One of them has to put up 85. and It's very hard for one person to put up 85 and the other person to also put up 85. So the salary matters. So that's why with these 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 warriors, like their prices were. I mean, how hard is it for Damian Lee to get there at thirty two hundred? What's get there? Twenty five points. He's playing thirty two minutes. Jordan Poole's fifty five hundred. His efficient price on this slate should have been almost nine thousand. Right? If Jordan Poole was nine thousand and Damian Lee was six thousand then can they both get there together in the same game? Because now Jordan Poole at 9,000 needs to put up 60, and Damian Lee at 6,000 needs to put up 40 to 45. Well, maybe that's a bit of a stretch. So in those cases, then you probably wouldn't play them together in a large field GPP. Smaller field stuff, you don't need to have like the nut-nut type of scores. 
So it's not a matter of like who is negatively correlated to each other. All players on a basketball court are pretty much for a ceiling are negatively correlated to each other. Ones that take each other's minutes are more negatively correlated, right? Because they can only be on the court for X amount of minutes, right? Centers that come out for each other, point guards that come out for each other, assuming that maybe at some points they play together, right? So you can't just be loud. I can't play the backup point guard. Well, if the backup point guard also closes both halves with the starting point guard, then what do we care? But like you take a look at like today's slate, for instance. Okay, as of right now, as of early morning projections, which obviously don't mean anything because we've got eight hours for for not so stuff to happen between 18 teams today on the slate. So like we have Jetty Osmond, right? If Garland's out, I believe Garland's out. Do we have a defend? Yeah, I mean, he's not he's not in the projections. Right. So I believe he's out. So we go to Cleveland. Like Osmond is forty six hundred. He has a salary adjusted plus minus of eight. Okay, his median score is 34. If you got 34 from a $4,600 player, you're, you're doing pretty good, right? Okay, that's the median. So it's quite possible for someone else on his team to also have 40-plus points. Now, if Jetty Osmond was 6,000, if he was 6,000, then it's going to be hard for him and Evan Mobley or Jared Allen or someone else to also get a 7 to 10x type of score in the same game. But since his price is so cheap in comparison, it's like, like, dude, he could get 35 points, fantasy points, while Mobley gets 50. No problem. Or Allen or whatever, any of these guys, whatever. So for, for, for a slate like this, if this was the ending projection, I don't mind playing two guys from the same team or even three possibly because of the pricing. Osmond doesn't count anymore. We go to another team. Let's go to uh, Washington. I mean, look at, look at, look at the salary adjusted value. Okay. Now that it's not, it's not 12 points like it was for the Warriors. There's no reason why Dinwiddie and Harold can't both get there for their salary. The key, the key thing is for their salary. If Dinwiddie was seven thousand and Harold was fifty five hundred, that wouldn't be as that would be much harder because they need to put up more points for those salaries. Dinwiddie, if Dinwiddie puts up what set if they both can they both put up seven x? That's forty two points for Dinwiddie and about thirty points. For Harold, yeah, I mean, look at their meetings. Their meetings are close enough as it is. Their smash percentages are in the 40s. They can both do it together easily. And Kuzma could probably possibly hit a ceiling. Or Gaff, well, he probably wouldn't, wouldn't play Gafford and Harold together. Caldwell Pope or something. Washington is the type of team I could play three players for in, in a large field GPP. Probably ideal would be two. But I could play three from. So if we go back to yesterday's scenario with the Warriors, the Warriors, if you sort it in our projections by salary adjusted plus minus, which is what RGV is, we had like Jordan Poole was like 14. Then we had like Damian Lee was eight and JTA was eight. Like everyone else was eight. I think Moody was four or something. And they like, if you sorted by the entire slate, like, that they were the five, five, five out of six of them were the five highest on the entire slate. 
So for their prices, can can they all get there? Yeah, why not? Get there. GPP ceiling type of score. Yeah, at their prices. You bump them up $1,000, $2,000 in salary, then that wouldn't be the case. Then you'd only be playing maybe two of them in your life. Because then they'd start eating from, eating from each other's ceilings. Look, the winning lineup yesterday had Juan Toscano-Anderson that had 19.25 points. That's still getting there for 3,000. Damien Lee went for what? Let's just look like well, 11x. Jordan Poole went for 9x. Moses Moody went for 11x. I mean, like, it was at 3,000. If Moses Moody was 6,000, 11x is what? 6,600? Uh, 66 points? He's not going to get 66 points. And if he does get 66 points, Damien Lee ain't going to get 66 points also. Right, unless the Warriors put up 300 points or something. So it's all related to salary. So if everyone was efficient, efficiently priced on the team, it would be much harder for three players to get a GPP winning seat. Be tougher. Probably tougher for two also, but one could. You want basically the, the best case scenario is you play one player from the team and they're the ones that get all the production. Right. Right. You go, you go, you play, you go to Washington. Right. You play, I'm going to play Dinwiddie or let, let's go to a more efficiently priced team. Do we have a, let's see the Knicks. Yeah. The Knicks aren't, uh, aren't are probably overpriced Houston. Right. Brooklyn. Let's see. Denver doesn't do much. Let's see. Portland, Indiana, let's Philadelphia with Embiid back. Yeah, even with Embiid back, like, you wouldn't play, like, at these salaries, at these projections, you probably probably would not play more than one 76er. Like, you wouldn't play Embiid and Harris in the same line. I mean, can they both get there? Yes. Just it's a much lower probability. At their prices, at 8312000 If Embiid was 8000 and Harris was 4000 you'd have no problem because these, these salary-adjusted values would be ridiculous. But at this current point, you look at the Philadelphia 76ers and go, I don't see how I play more than, I I don't see how you play, most likely you play one. Two is doable, but I don't see how you play three from a large field GPP standpoint. That three players at their their efficient prices, because they're pretty much, Embiid and Curry, right? Embiid is slightly underpriced at 12,000, right? Because we can see he's one point over salary adjusted value. Seth Curry is slightly overpriced, but he's close enough to efficient salary. And then Maxine Harris are a little bit over, overpriced. Tybal's a little overpriced. Then we get down to the bottom where they're very overpriced. So it's like, can Maxi Curry and Embiid all get GPP winning ceilings? Can Maxi get 50, Curry get 42, and Embiid get 72 in the same game? Yeah, I guess so. It's much harder, all three. But two of them could get there, right? I could see Curry and Embiid maybe both getting there. I could see Harris and Curry or something like that, some combination. But th- this would be the case where the negative the negative correlation isn't worth playing more than one and maybe two based on based on our projections. And that's obviously when playing Embiid and Drummond in the same lineup, they come out for each other. So this is the type of thing where it's like, oh, if I'm playing Sixers, 
I'm probably only playing one. I, I would personally only play one in a line. And I'd set in my max. We go here, players per team. I go to Philly and I put in one. You could also make a group of them, right? You could say, oh, and max one in a group, but it's easy to just go dink and I'm done here, right? So let's say the case of like Washington, like we saw before. I hear Washington, it's like, I think I could play two, right? You got Kuz, you got all, you got the top five guys here, kind of. Maybe even the top four Dinwiddie, Harold, Kuzma, Gafford. Now, Harold and Gafford, I probably will not play together because essentially they're not going to play on the court at the same time. So, because of that, and they project decently. So, maybe they do show up in some lineups together. So, I'll go in here and I'll create a group of Harold and Gafford, right? Create a group, max players, min players zero, max players one. Use at most one player. So it will never give me Harold and Gafford in the same line. They come out for each other. They're cheap enough that they both could get there, truthfully. If this was a this was a two or three game slate, I wouldn't mind as much playing both of them together. But it's a nine game slate, the opportunity cost is high. But, they, but this is the easy negative correlation. The guys that just literally come in and out for each other. You'd rather have Harold get into foul trouble and then Gafford go nuts in 36 minutes and vice versa than play both and they both play 24 minutes. But then I take a look at everything else. I go Dinwiddie, Harold, Gafford, Kuzma. Right? And I go, well, I don't mind playing Dinwiddie, Harold. I don't mind playing Dinwiddie, Gafford. I don't mind playing Kuzma, Harold. I don't mind playing Kuzma Gafford, but do I play Kuzma and Dinwiddie together? Maybe, maybe not. Do I play three together? Do I play Dinwiddie, Kuzma, and one of the centers? You could. So do you play three? You can play three. If you wanted to just set max three right here, I think that's you could get away with it. You just set max three, so you're just basically getting at most Dinwiddie plus Kuzma plus one of the centers. But let's say you say, I don't want to play Dinwiddie and Kuzma together, right? I just, I, I don't want to play more than two Wizards, which I think is probably more ideal than three. So you put in here two, right? Caps it out there. And then you go back here and you see, okay, if you put in max two, that means you could get Dinwiddie, Harold, Dinwiddie, Kuzma, Dinwiddie, Gafford. Harold, Kuzma, Harold, Harold, Kuzma, Harold, Dinwiddie, right? But you could still get Dinwiddie and Kuzma together in the same line. And you go, can they both get there? 5,800 Dinwiddie and a 7,500 Kuzma. They, they can, yes. But it's a little less problem. So you could choose, if you want, to now separate Dinwiddie and Kuzma. You go into the build rules. Go into player groups. And go, I don't want Dinwiddie and Kuzma in the same line. Right? Right now, you can't have now the max three. You can't have three players, and there you go. Because at at these salaries, I think two people could get there, possibly three. Like I said, if you want, if you didn't mind the three, then play play three guys. Add Caldwell Pope to the mix, but like on the Knicks or something. Like look at these look at the horribly projected players. All of these guys are overpriced. So would you play Randall and Barrett together? Not at these prices. I mean, they don't project all that. I mean, minus 3.5, minus 3.5, Fournier is minus six. So would you play them both in the same lineup? No, they're overpriced as it is. 
harder for them to hit a 7x plus type of ceiling. So for the Knicks, I'd go, oh, the Knicks, even if I do get a Nick in my lineup, I don't want two of them. I mean, you'd be sacrificing a lot of projection, but let's say I'm going to sacrifice 15 points of projection and then end up with Randall and Barrett in the same lineup because that could end up happening. So you go into build rules and you say, I only, I only want the max of one Nick, right? But it's all based on the pricing and the projection. So we go to like Indiana. We go, okay, I could play two people here. All right, take a look at here. The top end, Jackson, Levert, Duarte, Holiday. Right? These guys are all 30-minute players. And I go, okay, I could play, I could play, I could play two paces. Right? So you go back into build rules and you go, okay, I could use two paces. Maybe we don't mind the three Washington players. Three Washington, two pacers. Let's go back to the build. Get rid of this Kuzma Dinwiddie. One right there. So I can go through. This is based on these current projections. Go to Orlando. Okay, I can play two here. Two is doable. Max two. You could be very stringent and say, no, I don't even want, I only want max one. You could. But this is how you determine it. Go, okay, Orlando. I can play two guys from. Go, you set that for two. Max two. Philadelphia, we took care of. No, or did we? We could play one. This looks like a one. Could be a two, but maybe, maybe, maybe we play one based on projections. Charlotte. Yeah, Charlotte doesn't project all that well. So Charlotte's going to be a one. Boston doesn't really project all that well either. So Boston, Charlotte, I'd go in, go into my build rules. I go one, one, give me max one. I don't want Tatum and Brown at their prices. Can they both have 65 at the same time? They can. It happens. It happens every so often, but not so much. Not a high probability. We go to Memphis. Memphis projects poorly also. Same for the Knicks. Right. So those are the teams that I would have max one of if I have anyone from, right? They project poorly enough, then maybe I don't get anything. Right. Look at Houston, garbage. Cleveland, where we say we, we could we could do three on Cleveland, right? Because of Osmond. Or is it more like a tour? No, we could do three. Three max. OKC, garbage. Dallas. You have Luca there, but you could probably play one of the other guys also. So I say two for Dallas, one, two for Dallas. Where's Dallas? Two for Dallas, one for OKC. At the current projections, I always say this because someone will listen and watch this five hours from now when a million things have changed and go, oh, well, why'd you say this? Well, based on the 6 a.m. projections this morning. So Brooklyn, Sacramento, Brooklyn. We're probably not going to play Irving and Harden together. So this is probably a one. The, uh, the Sacramento, yeah, pretty much one there also. Denver, Utah, that's this looks like a one. Utah, ah, Utah could be a two or even a three. Okay, so let's go there. Let's Maybe we don't mind three on Utah, being that they have guys out. One on Denver. 
one on Brooklyn, one on Sacramento. Then we got the Portland Lakers game. Portland, oh, okay, Portland, we could, I would say two is better than three, but I mean, you could do three if you want. I would say two for Portland and two for the Lakers. And maybe make a group so you're grouping out Westbrook and Davis so they're not both in the same. They're both expensive players. We could get away with it. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just going through this very quickly. So maybe have two, two, but that's how you would determine. So people ask, oh, this, is this guy negatively correlated to that guy? And is this the, like they're all negatively correlated, right? There's 48 minutes in a game. And there's only bucket. If I shoot, if this guy shoots a bucket, it's taking points away from someone else on the court, right? So they're all technically negatively correlated on a play-by-play basis. It's like. At their price, what's the target ceiling for GPP? That that's a number for their price. They're five thousand. You're aiming for like thirty-five plus. Can that guy get thirty-five plus while this other guy also gets seven x for nine thousand? Could it get sixty-five points? The answer is higher probability. Then you can play them together. The answer is lower probability. It's probably best to separate. So you're not playing those guys together. That's it. So the price will dictate. If Jetty Osman was 8,000 today, number one, you wouldn't be playing him. But then you definitely wouldn't be playing him alongside Jared Allen also or, or uh, Kevin Love or whoever else is, whoever else on the, the Cleveland. The hell is still, still there? Mobley or Goodwin or something but only because he's underpriced. It's easier for him to get there. So I'm not concerned myself of who's negatively correlated to Jetty Osmond, unless it's someone that comes on the court and takes his other 13 minutes, which they'll overlap a bit. So Goodwin will overlap with Osmond as it is. So that's what you should be thinking about when it comes to correlation, because we had that yesterday with the Warriors. I saw tons of chat in our, uh, our Discord about how, how many is too many. I said five is too many. Five, 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 six is too many. You know, that's pretty much all of them. They said, yeah, that, that's how cheap they are. They're going to be playing 48 minutes. They're, they, there's, uh, what, 48 times six. There's 200 and whatever minutes to go around, and there's only, like, basically seven players in their rotation and two guy G League guys that may not get in that much time in. And they're all nearly min price outside of maybe pool and Looney. They're going to be on the court for 32 minutes. How, how do they not get the 30 points? If you raise their prices by double, then you wouldn't, you would play one of them max. Well, I thought they're negatively correlated. Yeah. To their ceiling for their salary. Like Embiid and Harris. Embiid at 12,000 and Harris at 8,300. Embiid needs to put up like 70 points at least for a ceiling at that salary. Harris has to put up 55. There aren't that many games where Embiid puts up 75 and Harris puts up 55. There are some. It happens. It does. But not as often. But if, let's say, Embiid was 10,000 and Harris was 6,000. Well, now Embiid only needs to put up like 65, maybe. And Harris at 6,000 only has to put up 40. 
And we've seen plenty. We've we've seen games where Embiid has sixty five and Harris has forty. That happens. That happens way more often. Okay, so that's doable to play them together. Even though technically the correlation, the number, the R between the two players is still the same for their ceilings, for those raw points. The salaries are changing. Can't play Giannis and Middleton in the same line. Well, of course you can if they're they're both 5,000. Sure, yeah. At their current efficient prices, you're, you're right. It's going to be very hard for both of them to get GPP winning ceilings. Going through the YouTube chat. Do, 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 do. Kickstar says, I couldn't believe Bridges smashed. It happens. Things happen. Outliers happen. Oh, let's see. Kid, Kit Cloud, kicker. I was following all the nonsense coming out of Washington. Dinwiddie wants out. I like Cole Anthony better anyway. I pivoted. End result, 18 more points for $700. I was only playing two lineups. Everyone told me it was bad process. Yeah, I would, and I would agree with you. In the long run, it's bad. It's horrible process. That's the process of a losing player. You know why? I don't watch basketball. I don't know what most of these players even look like. I'm wildly profitable in basketball. You know why? Because it's a math game. So I don't care. It, it, Dinwiddie wants out. What do I care? I just, I, I just, all I'm doing is looking at the numbers. Now, Cole Anthony wasn't a bad, I mean, didn't project poorly yesterday. If you played a lineup with Cole Anthony instead of Spencer Dinwiddie and your total lineup projected and owned at the right range for the contest you're in, that's perfectly fine. Because remember, we're not playing players. We're playing lineups. So now, now you have two bad processes. That you thought about a player and you use something that was not, not quantifiable. So yes, so that's, that's a horrible process. And then you continue to do so, you will continue to lose. In the long run. Uh, let's see. Uh, Masher, if a lineup is half as owned as the optimal, how do you figure out number of points projection to give up for a given slate? I know every show is about this trade-off. Hearing you think out this example would help. It depends on how many lineups are in between the two lineups. So like, for instance, if I were to build, let's see, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, let me reset all of this. Do, do, do. I just reset all. Where's my, where's my reset all button? Okay, it's in the build, build settings, reset all NBA settings. How many lineups are in between those lineups? Right? So if we're going to build, for, let's say, 300 lineups with no, with no constraints, no nothing, right? One salad doesn't, salary doesn't even have just the 49K, whatever. Just nothing. We're just going to run 300 lineups. Right, I got everything here. Doesn't matter how many team, how many players per team, what the ownership is. We run it. Well, I need to still need to put in something. Let's see. Okay, put in some zeros to make it run. So basically, what this is going to do is spit out the three hundred optimal lineups, the top projected lineups from one to three hundred. What's the point difference between number one and number three hundred? 
What's the point difference between number one and number 6,000 and number 15,000 and number 50,000? Right? Because if you don't play Osmond or you don't play Luca, you don't, uh, if you don't play Osmond or you don't play Dinwiddie, you don't play Harold, you're going to start to be giving up a whole bunch of projected points. You're going to be giving up like maybe 15. If you don't play any of those three, you're probably going to give up around 14 points. How much ownership are you gaining by doing that? Well, there's, there's your start. How many lineups are in between them? You're trying to come up with a number, Master, and the answer is there is no number. I've said this multiple times. The concept is the lower the projection, you should be getting lower ownership with it. Well, what's the exact sweet spot? Well, if I knew the answer, I'd, I'd have $17 trillion because I'd, I'd win every slot. Obviously, there's no correct answer. Okay, run 300 lineups. Okay, top fantasy point, 293.75. Lowest, uh, 286.85. Okay, so the top 300 lineups are separated by, by what? Four, seven points? Okay, yeah, about seven points. So and if you if if you were to drop less than seven points, you're still going to be within the top 300 lineups possible. So if you're playing large field GPP, you're probably going to be sacrificing more than seven points. You may be playing some of these lineups, some of these 300. But most likely, you're not going to be playing top 300 projected lineups. And if you see here that in the top 300 projected lineups, Jetty Osmond's in 100% of them, in all 300. Dinwiddie's in 81%. Harold's in 80%. Luca's in 95%. What's the, out of this 300 set, what is the lowest owned one? In total. 201 at 287. So within the top 300 lineups, you're sacrificing about six points to gain the highest to gain about 35 percentage points in ownership. So you use that as a guide. In the next, in the next 300, what does that look like? And in the next 300, what does that look like? Like I'm going to sacrifice 20 points in projection to get X amount of ownership. Well, that some slates, that lineup is like the 1200th best line. Best projected lineup in total. Some slates, it's the 12,000th best lineup. So on the slates where it's the 1,200th best lineup, that may be fine. That amount of projection for that ownership may be fine. So you're still like, how much more can you? You're just still playing a top 1,200 lineup. And on, on other slates, that lineup that you're giving up 20 points of projection is so far down that you'd be nuts to be giving up that much projection. And you could, you could tell what slates they are. The more efficiently priced the slate is, 
the less projection you should be willing to sacrifice for ownership. Because here, in order to, the high-owned players are going to be the mispriced players, the under the underpriced players, like Osmond, Luca, Dinwiddie, Harrell, Carter, Monk, Clarkson, I mean, like all these guys, right? But we do, on a slate where there are inefficiently priced players, you're probably going to have to play some of them to keep your projection up, right? So like the best lineup right now, right? 293.75. Let's get rid of all these guys. Everything with the green. I'm just going to get literally get rid of all the guys with that are positively, that are, that are inefficiently priced too cheap, right? Even, even Karis Levert, who's only at 0.18, right? I got rid of all those guys. So here's the slate. We got rid of all those guys. What is the lineup from not playing any of them, right? 293.75 with all those guys in turns into the optimal lineup is 257.58. Okay. But we take a look at this slate. Like, let's say this was the slate. A lot of guys, and we can even add some, some guys back in that are close to this line, right? Just not the high, the highest guys, right? Let's add Levert, Anthony. Let's add, let's add some of these. Anthony Davis, right? So we take, if this was the slate, we got rid of all those guys above them. And this was the slate. Look how many players are very close to one another, right? When we ran this slate with all the players in the pool, the Osmonds, the Lucas, the Dinwiddies, the guys that are inefficiently underpriced, we saw the top 300 was a difference of seven points, right? Number one to number 300 was seven points. Let's run it again. All right, I make sure I got everything, everything, yeah, everything's here. Let's run it again and just have a lot of guys that are just like, okay, these guys are mostly efficiently priced. I mean, like just who's the best play on this slate? I don't don't know. They're all fairly close to each other. We don't get, we don't get guys with RGBs of three, four, five, eight, where it's like, obviously they're underpriced by a certain extent. So we're going to build 300 now. Scott Rodder, does the person making the projections factor in non-math elements? For example, who may get more minutes between get? Yes. Our projections team puts in the minutes in the rotations. But then it simulates based on their production with the assist rates and the, all the rebound rates and everything. Because everything has to come out to 100 between the five players on the court. Then our system, our algorithm goes through and runs 10,000 simulations. And that's how the projections come out. But yes, human beings have to put in the minutes. How many minutes does Harold play versus Gafford? That is, that a human being puts that in. And the projections team knows basketball 800 times more than I do. That's why, that's why I subscribed to Roto Grinders before I was even here. So yeah, the minutes. If you don't agree with the minutes, then just change the minutes. But yes, it's not, that's not, there's no math. It goes into the minutes. Other than the, 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 the algorithmic projections that come out early in the morning does based on some like regression model. So it all equals the same, but then they'll, they'll come in. The projections team usually by, you know, 11 noon and around my showtime start making manual adjustments. So it's not all the computers not coming up with the, the minutes projections. 
Right, because some teams play big, some teams play small. Right, we got Andy, we got Noto, we got uh, Jamino, we got SBK, we got a, people that the the the, the, the basketball knowledge of uh, of of the projections team trumps me by eight million. So, like, what do I know? I don't know. They're gonna put it. The numbers are gonna be put in. Well, if this guy's on the court with the same time as this guy, is the rebound rate's gonna change? That's that's all done. So yes, it's based on the on this on the rotation for today. They may be go a little big or a little small or play two guards or whatever. Basketball people take care of that. So the, since the basketball people are taking care of the numbers that are being put in, what 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 am I doing? I'm just using the numbers. Okay, so we took out all of those like inefficiently underpriced players. And ran 300 lineups now. So in the first run, with all the players in, the difference between one and 300 was about seven points. This is with take. This is now most of the field, most of the salaries are about efficiently priced. About top lineup 260. Bottom lineup. 250, 258, pretty much, right? 257.9 to 260.9, three-point difference between the first lineup and the 300th lineup. So what's the difference between the 300th lineup and the 600th lineup? Maybe only another three points, maybe. Maybe even less. So what's the difference between lineup one and line up 10,000 when we eliminate, when everyone is priced efficiently. One in 10,000 may be a difference of 20 points, maybe. But once we start adding everyone else back in, the difference between one and 10,000 could be 42 points. So we see here that when there's so many lineups packed together because everyone's fairly efficiently priced, you're probably not giving up as much projection. You probably don't need to give up as much projection for the ownership. Because the ownership will sometimes on those types of slates end up being too condensed, right? They look at, you know, you look on a slate with like this and you go, well, I got to play Daniel Gafford because why not, right? He's 3,100 at center. And he's the, be- he's the best play out of a bunch of, he's the marginally better play than six other people. So what ends up happening a lot of times is that the marginally better play is 40% off. The difference between the the top five plays at that position or whatever should be like 18%, 16%, 14%, 12%. What ends up happening, it ends up being 36%, 14%, 8%, 6%, 2%. When it really... Because the differences between these players is not, it's not projection-wise, is not that dramatic. When we when we add all these people back in, yeah, Osmond should be should be high owned. Dinwiddie should be high owned. Har- Harold should be. Monk, assuming he plays, should be higher owned. Well, he projects for three or four points median-wise more than other players. Well, he should be higher. So for not playing him, you're going to be you're going to be sacrificing more ownership. But the more that the players are closer to their efficient prices, 
If the ownership isn't efficient, you should just be exploiting that completely. Masher, so given its inefficient pricing, are you going to have more concentrated pool of players on FanDuel? I don't, I don't, you shouldn't care about how concentrated your pool is. You should be building lineups. Concentration and all, that's all diversification. That's all risk tolerance. So there's no such thing as a, con, be as concentrated as you want. Just build good lineups that are projected and owned at the levels that they should be for the contest that you're in. Once you start, once you start understanding that, once you once once it finally clicks, you know how many people in the past what I've been here for what three four years at Roto Grinders. You know how many people not not like I say ninety five percent of people aren't going to do the work. The five percent of people that do when it finally clicks, when it finally clicks, they go to me and they go, "Oh my God, I understand why you call everyone stupid." When it finally clicks, you just you go, oh, my God, 95 percent of everything that I've ever done in the past was a waste of time. You go, it almost becomes too simple. You almost question how why is it? How does not everyone like why? Why why isn't everyone doing this? How hard is it to play DFS? This is this is you could play in 10 minutes. Some people think it's like, oh, oh, you get to spend eight hours a day going like, no, I I, I can play any slate five to 10 minutes basketball slate. I could show up at 10 minutes before lock and make probably better lineups than you can for the contest, whatever contest you're in. Most of the work is done for you by the projections team here at Rotogrinders. As long as you understand the game of playing DFS. And that's why if you don't want to go through my hundreds upon hundreds of hours of shows like this, get nice in one little structured package. The theory of daily fantasy sports, how to think like a professional DFS player. It's a 15 hour audio DFS masterclass. Completely revolutionize your process. Right? Has all these. Right? There's math involved, but not, not heavy math. But mathematical concepts. Introduction, game objectives, player selection, expected value, leverage, correlation, construction, risk management, exploit, psychology, miscellaneous stuff. A lot of it, a lot of it is just basic statistics. You took a basic statistics and probability class. That's what most, that's what pretty much DFS is. And once you learn that it's about lineups and not players, then you don't have to worry about players anymore. You really don't. The only time I worry about players is what I was going through before with the build rules. Can two people get there at the same time for their, for their salary adjusted value, right? Well, in the Knicks, they project poor, probably not. One player, max. If I get anyone from the Knicks. Cavs, I could do two or three because of Osman. Washington, I could do two or three because of Dinwiddie and Harold. But do I need to know Dinwiddie and Harold? I don't even know. He need to know who they are. I don't. I need to know that Harrell and Gafford both come in and out of each other, right? I need to know that about basketball, right? And all that rotation stuff you could get you, you just by the game logs. Or, or we have court IQ, right? Like I could look if I wanted to. We have this on Roto-Grinders, right? I could go through and I could do any quarry I want and look at any game, right? Warriors Spurs from last night. Right. And I could see who came in and out for each other. Right. 
I got to look here. I go, okay, Murray was in, came in, Primo came in, Walker came in, right? And even if I didn't know the players, didn't know, didn't know nothing, never heard of these people, and go, okay, well, Vassal, Vassal typically comes in for Derek White, but then he comes back in. Yeah, well, maybe the Spurs isn't a good example to look at. Denver, Minnesota. It's like, okay, Bryn Forbes and Jeff Green don't play together. Right? J. Michael Green and Will Barton don't play together. Obviously, the fourth quarter doesn't count. This is a blowout. Right? I could just look at these. Jared Vanderbilt and Torian Prince. Look, they come in and out for each other. So most likely, I don't play them together. I don't need to know anything about basketball. I could just look at this. Edwards and Reed kind of don't play together. Noel and McDaniels don't. I mean, like, there you go. So that's all I would need to know. So make sure they're not together in the same lineup or something. I wanted to do that. I mean, if you're playing this every day, you, you, you get a sense of what the rotations are anyway. But, like, I don't watch basketball. I don't I don't remember the last time I, I, I even watched an NBA. I didn't even had NBA on at all. At all. I think for maybe a playoff game last year. I wasn't playing DFA. I was like, you know, game seven or so. It was something in the finals. It was something. It was whatever. I think I watched the last half or something. And that may have been the last time. And then the time before that was, I don't know, who knows? Every once in a while, if I have a major sweat or something like that, and it's a late game, I'll put the last half for the whatever game. So I could look or whatever. Like, other than that, I, I see no reason to watch. Everything, you get all the information here anyway. And we have a projections team that takes care of all the minutes and everything anyway. I mean, so it's just like, here are the numbers. Put the numbers together better than other people put the numbers together. And over the, over the long run, make money. There you go. That's it. Masher, I work strictly in terms of lineups, but my volatility is insane. 10K weekly swings based on the norm. Yeah, that, that's, that would be, that would be, that, welcome to DFS. <laughs> that's GPP playing DFS. We'd like to diversify to get that down. Okay, so that the more you diversify, the more you're lowering, you're sacrificing expected value to reduce your variance, which is fine. But what level to do that at is up to you. If you study uh, sharper players, there are some sharp players that have no problem having very basically they make 150 lineups and they they all look fairly the same, and they just rotate like one or two guys. So they pit like it's not like they have a core group of like 10 players they play and then a bunch of little ones. And then just like, if that hits, they got a mil, they got 150 outs for the nuts. But if something goes wrong, they're, they're, two of those guys bomb, all their lineups go to the ball. So their swings will be way dramatic. You'll see a slate once a season where they win like everything. They're in first, second, fourth, third. And, but you also see plenty of still, you'll see 20 slates where they put in 150 entries and cash none of them, literally none. They're all at the bottom. You can play. The, those are still plus EV lineups. Those are still great lineups. But the portfolio of 150, they're very, the, the lineups individually are correlated with each other a lot. So if their lineups do well, a lot of them will bunch up towards the, wherever they are. Middle top of the payout curve. Or you could decide to out of the 10,000 lineups that you could make that are plus EV or whatever, that you can make more diverse 
have a m- more different combinations of players, different types of lineups, lineups that are high up, that are, that are higher owned and project well. Some that are really low owned and project poorly. Those are the high variance lineups. And you could play a whole slew, 150 different types, 20, 50, whatever the amount that you play. You could do that. If we played this out over a million times, both types of lineup portfolios end up with the same amount of money at the end. Of it. Just a matter of how much, how, how much, how much percentage of your bankroll are you playing that can you survive those types of swings? Or even if you have the bankroll to survive those swings, do you want to, do you want those swings? I personally don't. I play a bit more diversified. Not as a strategy. That's just it's just risk tolerance. Also, I don't play 150 lineups, right? Here's my sanity. I'll play 50 lineups tonight. And that concentrated player pool. When you th- talk like that, that's all diversification, and there's no there's no correct answer to that. Should you play a concentrated player pool of players that project poorly? No. Should you play a diverse one poorly projected? No, not neither of that either. You still need to build good lineups. And there are different types of plus EV lineups. And some sharp players play a higher variance macro strategy, meaning that, you know, they're going to play 200 NBA slates and going to play really condensed, really high variance stuff. And it's like, all they need to do is like hit it big on like two or three slates four or five slates maybe. And they're saying they could lose all their money on the other 195 slates would be fine. It'd be profitable. But you could go through a hundred, you go a hundred slates right down and they'd be, be down $750,000. Be, be down a million. I've, I've seen in NBA. I've, I've, I, I know people personally, million dollar down. Slates. And at the, at the end of the season, at the end of the season, they're up. which is great. Okay. That sounds good to me. But that process of getting there, right? It's a lot of lose and woo, big win. Lose, big win. That's GPP play in general. But how much the downswings are compared to the upswings are all, how much diversification are you, you doing? Masher, who are among the pros plays with high concentration? I would look in results DB and you could, you could figure it out yourself. Right. Just go into results DB and look for the look for the players that are like, oh, they have like 90 percent of like five different guys. Right. Or like like they look, look at look at their concentration. Like, oh, oh, you know, so and so was the chalk and they have 98 percent of that guy. They have 78 percent of this guy. They have 58 percent of that kind. It's like, wow, OK, they, they pretty much played like 150 lineups that have a very small amount. And then they have like one percent, two percent of a whole bunch of people. Then there are others where you look at the, you look at their exposure and it's like wow they have sixty eight players and no one higher exposed than thirty percent so they're playing extreme diversity which is fine as long as their individual lineups are fine doesn't matter. Uh, Tibor Kovacs, remember you playing high entry fee small size single entries and having lots of success. I don't know if you consider lots of success profitable. Do you still enter such contests? The four hundred dollar. 30 minutes. No, I don't enter 30 man contests. No, the $400 30 minutes. Is there such a thing? Typically, typically, I, I'm still entering, I'm still doing the showtime, the $100 showtime. Like they have the splash, the $200, 
three max when they offer it. I'll play that. A lot of times now I'm playing the 20 max, the $4 20 max. I'll play 20, 25 entries into the $15 large field. My 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 my, nat- my natural strengths are, are more geared towards large field contests. Small field is like yeah, less swings or whatever. But it's still it, it always comes back to I, I look at I look at I look at the lineups in overall in the large field stuff, and there's just more way more edge there than there is in the smaller field contests. Even though realizing that edge is the tough part. I, I, I find that the large field contests are essentially rake-free. But the amount of lineups that are in it that I find to not be competing for first place. Which is what I'm competing for. That's always, that's always been, if you listen to the Theory of DFS podcast, that's always been the, the struggle. Of like, yeah, my, I, I, my edge is in the large field stuff with the weakest players. But it's the it's a it's a pursuit of trying to win one or two of them a year for all of your profit. Which if you're good, on average, you could do, which I have been doing. Right. But it's a pain in the ass to go like four months and be just like lose, 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 lose. Little win, lose, lose. Like it's the in-between parts where you're sitting there going, sucks to have to like. Wait for that big upswing. I'd rather it be a little bit, a little bit more consistent, which is why the smaller field stuff, you'll be a little bit more consistent, but the, the strengths of the fields are much higher. So that's that balance of what, what do I want to do? But my, my strengths are geared towards beating weaker players and having leverage for large field contests and not small field stuff. So that's why I, I, I'll play single entry small field stuff for a little bit. And then eventually it's like, like, why aren't I going after the play? Like, why aren't I going after the weakest players in the, in the lobby? The recreational guys put in 15 bucks, $15 lineups on the toilet. There's enough of them. You don't have to play 150 in the lineups. Okay. So uh, maybe by the time uh, seven o'clock comes around, Jetty Osmond won't even be chalk anymore. Maybe it won't even matter. Eight million things are going to happen. Uh, between now and then, but they'll cover it for you on Grinders Live. That's coming up around five o'clock later today on the YouTube channel, as well as Crunch Time for premium members. So, uh, so yeah, so give me those thumbs ups, thumb me thumbs on your way out the door. Hit the subscribe button if you're new here. Hit the notification bell to know when all of our shows go live here. And uh, I'll see you tomorrow. Reviewing the slate, this slate that's that, that we're going to play that. Nothing I say right now is going to matter for seven hours from now. And uh, and answering your DFS strategy questions, as always, on the DFS pregame show on rotogrinders.com.